0: Good morning. Wow, I'm loud. Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. How about we all come in and get started with some music? And if you want to stand with us and come closer to the front, because there's a lot of empty seats. I know people are off having festivities, but we're going to sing here, and you should all look like you like each other. take a seat and we have announcements.
1: Good morning. Hey, my name is Shane. Yay, Shane. following my list. I've got announcements for you today. Uh, We are going to be opening up the church at 945 tonight. If you want to come and sit in an air-conditioned room and watch the fireworks, uh, we will have the foyer open for you to do that at 945. So if you're here a little bit earlier than that, just wait, people will be here. Uh, but and it, I guess my understanding is, and I'm not on the lake, but my understanding is they're they're doing the fireworks a little bit closer to this end this year, so that the river district will have a better view of them as well. Uh, and so it should be a really nice show out the big windows here in the foyer. Uh, Tyler's class, the the Gospel of John, meets tomorrow night. July 5th at 6 p.m., uh, they meet down in the fireside room, so make sure you come if you're interested in that. I've been hearing great reports. I haven't been there, uh, partly because I have been I have a conflict, which is uh, one of our men's ministry announcements, um, uh, which we have a couple of men's ministry announcements as well. Breakfast and uh, study Saturday. The men's breakfast is, at Jul- is Saturday, July 10th. At 8 a.m., if you're interested in helping uh, with cooking, you can show up at 7.30, and they'll throw you into the kitchen and and let you help in that area as well. It's interesting, when I'm there, normally they put me with a cup of coffee out front and just say, talk to people. (laughs) I'm not sure why, but I think I could burn bacon pretty good. So we have lots of bacon and other good things as well. Uh, Craftsman Ministry will not be meeting this Monday night, uh, but we'll be meeting July 12th at 6 p.m. at Jacob Jacob's shop. If you're interested in that, if you have not been at all and you want to know what it's about, uh, we, you can still come and join us. Uh, we're just about done with one of the projects that we're doing, and we're probably going to take a break for the rest of the summer once we finish this project, and we'll start planning for our next season's project. Uh, d- uh, in the fall that we'll, where we'll be kicking that off. But if you're interested in men's, in this craftsman ministry, please reach out to me or Jacob, and we'd be glad to share with you what we're doing and, and what the what the ministry is focused on. Uh, youth summer camp is coming. Uh, we are uh, doing our Bear Paw summer camp uh, with four other churches uh, again this year. And so uh, we've got a couple of students already that have signed up. We've got room for others to come. Uh, please make sure you grab a flyer. They're out front in the foyer. And the deadline for registration is July 21st. And then finally, it's our VBS announcement. Would you be sure to grab one of the VBS flyers? It's out in the foyer. It looks like this. It's got information on both sides because we have so many opportunities for you to be involved. And one in particular that we need to get addressed pretty quickly um, is that registration is open for kids on Facebook, on our church app, and also on our church website. Um, and in that process, one of the things that we need to address promptly is the uh, adopt-a-kid part of the program. And what what we were intending for that is that there are, uh, normally in our VBS setting, we do that in the middle of the day or early in the morning to the middle of the day, and we have lots of kids show up without any parents attached, and we bring volunteers in, and, and we all partner with them and separate them in groups, and we'll run around here like a bunch of wild people with all kinds of fun stuff happening, and old people like me are dragging themselves across the floor to try and keep up with the whole process. And it's wonderfully terrible. But in this season, what we're doing for this next year is going to be a family event, and we're going to do it in the evening, and we're going to encourage parents to come and be with their kids and be part of the process. But we also know that we'll probably have kids show up whose parents aren't interested in poking their head into a church, or maybe they're busy in work evenings and they don't have time. What we would like to do is have a few adults who would volunteer to be uh, just uh, to adopt some kids for that event. So you come in, you sit with them, you build a relationship with them, you're part of their life for that 45 minutes uh, for a couple of nights that week, and then if you really didn't like them, you could give them back. (laughs) It's probably one of the best adoption processes available. Um, No, but we, we see this as an opportunity to invest in kids that maybe otherwise would not have an opportunity to be here. Because if they don't have an adult or some kind of an adult supervision, they won't be able to come this year. And so this gives us an opportunity to serve our neighborhood, to serve our families uh, who maybe needs a little bit of extra help. So I would encourage you to consider being part of that. If you don't have a bunch of little ones that you're dragging along with you, this actually would, I hadn't thought about it now, but this would give you access to come to VBS. Because if you don't have any kids, you can't come. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> just thought I'd try that sales tactic. Uh, it is good to see you this morning, and I know some of our families out uh, spending the Fourth of July somewhere else, and uh, many of us are going to be celebrating together with family and friends this evening. And so I want to encourage you to be safe. but let's also be sure to give thanks to the Lord uh, for the freedoms that we have and the joy that we get to celebrate here in this country. Uh, and worship freely and openly and live stream it and do all of these things. It's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful privilege, and we should be very grateful. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country that were um, purchased at a very high price. Help us to not forget that. Help us to keep our our focus on you in the midst of all of our celebration. And in all of our lives, God, we want to serve you and glorify you. And I pray, Lord, as a church, that we would see the opportunity that we have in this country, in this time, to be gospel lights uh, to the world who desperately need to know you and uh, to take advantage of the opportunities we have in this country of great freedom and uh, independence. So help us to celebrate well today, but also, Lord, help us to give you the praise and glory for all that you're doing. In your name, amen.
0: Going to stand with us as we continue to sing.
2: Oh, sweet the sound. The
0: Kids are dismissed.
1: You guys ever feel like you have to look at something that you really don't want to look at? As an adult, you know there's times in our lives where we're just obligated to be adults and do the adult thing. <clears throat> I hope you came prepared to adult today. Um, I was in the text this week and I ran into a process that uh, I'm actually going to ask the question: uh, Is the request too great? Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little bit today. Um, but, you know, there's, there's moments in your life where you're doing things because you know that the outcome is, is worth the work, right? There's things that we do in life. My bride and I laid down sod, and we had young men there helping us, fortunately, and we both still nearly died this last weekend. And uh, we woke up this morning, and we went, yep, I can still, we can still feel it, and that was from several days ago. Why did we do that? Why did we engage in that behavior? Uh, all day on Thursday and all day on Friday because we knew that the outcome would be well worth the work. We knew that the pain that we're experiencing was going to have a benefit, a long-term benefit, that we felt was worth the investment. Um, And I think that there's times in our lives, I know as parents we challenge our kids, we look at things and we challenge them to do things that they don't want to do, and we encourage them that it will be well worth it someday. And normally when you have young men that are no longer in your house in their teenage age, they look at you and you're like, nope. And then then you get to encourage them later. And I think that the Lord does that in our own spiritual lives as well. And I believe that when it comes to following Jesus, uh, Christ sets out a very clear picture of this. Um, And it's interesting to me that there's a, I think there's a great parallel between what we're gonna see in Jeremiah today and what Jesus asks his disciples to do uh, in following him. So open your books, open your Bibles to, to Jeremiah chapter 16. And we're going Jer- to begin to read Jeremiah chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in this land. They shall die of deadly diseases. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword and by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. For thus says the Lord, do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, my steadfast love and mercy, declares the Lord. Both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, and no one shall lament for them or cut himself or make himself bald for them. No one shall break bread for the mourner to comfort him for the dead nor shall anyone give him the cup of consolation to drink for his father or his mother. You shall not go into the house of the feasting to sit with them, to eat or, and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. When you tell those people all these words, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn, evil will. Refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. There's a good chance that this was early in Jeremiah's life, that this was probably in the early season when God was calling him out. Um, but do you remember what Jeremiah did in volunteering for his prophecy position? No volunteering happened, right? God showed up one morning and he said, hey, I have set you apart for this. I've designed you for this. I was there before creation. I, I have made this specific path just for you. You will do this for me. And what did Jeremiah say? Uh, no, Lord, I'm really not old enough. I don't have the words to speak. You, you could find somebody better. And God then reminded him who he was not Jeremiah, but he reminded him who God the Father was and said, no, you shall go and do this. I think it's ironic that this passage in chapter 16 follows up chapter 15 where we watch Jeremiah complain about his circumstances, right? And then the Lord says, if you return to me, I will restore all of the promises and I'll make you the bronze wall that I promised to do when you first entered into ministry. He reminds him of the early relationship that they had when things were not good, but they were obviously better than they were at that time. And so here we see the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah and says, you shall not take a wife or have children. And for a young man, that, that would obviously be a great challenge, a great difficulty. Um, one of the reasons that it would be very difficult is that especially for, uh, I mean, we read in the Proverbs how uh, you know to have a, a bride is a precious jewel. Uh, especially a godly woman is, is a precious, precious gift and having children. And it talks about them being a, you know, a, a quiver full of arrows and, and that being a great blessing for the Lord. And somebody, to, uh, just thinking of it in my own life, somebody to be in ministry together to, to serve the Lord. Could you imagine, um, I thought about this the whole time as we were looking at Jeremiah, uh, being in a ministry where no one responded, your own family was trying to kill you because they wanted you to be quiet and to stop saying whatever it was that was coming out of your mouth, whatever God was telling him to say, his family was like, knock it off, you're giving us a bad reputation in town. And he's doing it alone. Not, not, doesn't have anybody next to him, nobody by his side. As Barack, and we're going to see Barack his, his, uh, his scribe at some point in time, and, and the Lord has specific encouragements for Barack, because it turns out his attitude went south during this process as well. But could you imagine that that command from God? Did you see the negotiation process? Hey, what do you think, Jeremiah? Have you have you noticed there aren't any godly women around? Probably not the best of time to be marrying in this place. There was none of that. It was you shall not take a bride. And you not have sons or daughters. I was, uh, again, as I was preparing all of this process and Two of my boys were out helping me haul sod around. I thought, alone? Could you imagine? I would never have accomplished the task that I got done this weekend. I can't imagine ministering in a hostile environment. Alone.
3: Yet, we all know he wasn't alone, right? God was there. And that there was still a great
1: piece of this that would be missing, a piece of him. Not having any kids, you know we joke about this, right? Uh, sometimes from time to time, we're like, "There's days you'd like to kill your children?" Oh, do you guys not joke about that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I forget my place. No, we do every now and then you're like, when they, they make certain choices, you're like, oh, how how can this come from me?" And yet, you know, the, the reality is even in some of our worst days, our children are, are a gem and a gift. And I think of in, in our life and my brides in my life, um, the many, many hours of joy and laughter and engagement that we've had with our kids and how, um, how empty our life would be without that. How challenging. now. I, I want to encourage you in this moment. I, I believe that God's being very gracious to Jeremiah here as well. There's a graciousness in his care for Jeremiah because the task that he called him to was so significant and so it's it was so difficult. And the judgment that was being brought upon the nation was so severe that there's actually a, a bit of grace that God's extending to Jeremiah and 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 freeing him from some of the burdens. That would come with a family some of the challenges and the emotional difficulty that would come watching his family suffer in this time and we see that that the the part of the process as you read through uh jeremiah the the that part of jeremiah 16 and and we'll see in other passages as we go that the the judgment is so severe this this time is so bad for the nation of israel that there will be no lamenting there'll be no burial of family members are dead there the 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 tragedy, the devastation will be so bad that they won't be able to care for and bury their dead. And they'll be in such deep suffering that there there won't even be lament for those family members that die. I I honestly i have been wrestling with that in my own head, trying to think through what that would be like. What kind of conditions would you find yourself in to be in that state? And, And I can't fathom in my own heart and in my own head what a life would be like in that setting. I've had family members pass away that I wasn't close to. And yet still there was a, there was a, a, a recognition of the value of their life and the connection to my family, even though I, I really never knew them. And I stood with my mom or, or another relative who knew them well and, and, and mourned their death, and, and it brought weight and, and, and sadness into my life. I think the only, the only illustration, the only connection that I've ever had was Uh, One of my youth students, his name was Kerkula, and uh, he told stories of what it was like in Africa before he was adopted out. And and I don't have all the details. I remember one particular story, though. He was a young kid in the orphanage that he was with at the time because he'd been separated from his family. They were moving the children from a vacated building to vacated building and trying to get food secretly to these kids while the war was happening. And he recalls this one time where they were traveling through the streets and the hard part for them was to find a spot to step where they weren't stepping on dead bodies. And this was as a young kid. And so, I mean, as I think about what God's describing for the people of, of Judah, this, this death, this pestilence, dying by swords, bodies laying out uh, for the birds and the beasts of the air to decay and, and, and all that, I think that's probably the closest picture I can come up with in my own life experience in my own mind and there's something that happens in this judgment that is incredibly powerful and it's a, I think it's an important piece of this and it's where he says that he is going to remove his peace from them isn't it interesting that in that text did you did you catch what he said there when he says that he's going to remove his peace from them Sorry, I'm going back through my notes because I didn't highlight it, so I'm looking for it in the text because it's really important that we see this. Yeah, clearly important enough for me to have noted it in my text. Verse 5. Do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them, for I have taken away my peace from this people. My steadfast love and mercy Declares the Lord. Now, what that what it draws my attention to is, and I think we need to be reminded of, is uh, back in Exodus chapter thirty-four when Moses is engaged in the bringing out the people of Israel uh, out of captivity, out from Egypt, and they're going to the promised land. Moses is is setting up the Ten Commandments and establishing all of the law for the nation and introducing God to His people at this time. And in Exodus chapter thirty-four, we see this in verse six: the Lord. It says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, O God, merciful and gracious, a God, excuse me, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here we have the introduction of God the Father to his people, and what does he say about himself? A God that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty In fact, I think it's interesting if you go back and read in chapter 33 of Exodus around verse 14, Moses and God have this incredible discussion about how Moses is actually saying, if you're not going to go with me, don't go, don't send us. If your presence is not going to be with us, then I don't want to do this because I can't do it without you. In fact, it's so important, he specifically references that unless your presence is with us, no one will notice a difference between us. It's necessary for you to go with us to do this. Moses understood the relationship that the nation of Israel and God the Father had and the need for them to be connected. And here we actually begin to see God the Father saying, I'm withdrawing my presence from you. That's how severe
3: the judgment is. That's that's the condition that we find the nation of Israel in at this time.
1: I think it's interesting that uh, God withdrawing his peace and, and those things, and, and what drew my attention, because I've been wrestling with this in my own heart, and, and you'll see that as we, as we continue here um, with the question, is the request too great? Is what God's asking of Jeremiah, um, I almost said, is it fair? And then I realized that's just not, how, how do you use fair when you attach it to God's request, right? I mean, as good Christians, we would never say that's not fair. Hey go with me on this. I'm just telling you how to speak Christianese here, okay? We may feel like in our hearts, but I'm just so I didn't feel like I could say that out loud. But it's interesting, Jesus is actually leaving his disciples in the New Testament and he he shares with them I think something that's very important for us to realize. God is leaving Jeremiah, but I love the fact that he He doesn't leave Israel and Judah just for eternity. He doesn't leave them abandoned for all time. He actually sends a solution in his son, Jesus. And we're going to see that, I believe, pictured here. But this is a moment when the disciples, Jesus is getting ready to leave the disciples. And they're thrilled about it. Not at all. They really are struggling with this. In fact, here's the story. Jump with me uh, into John chapter 14, looking at verse 25. Jesus is encouraging his disciples, and he says this: These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance, uh, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. But I am going to the Father, or because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Here we see this picture of the Jesus actually getting ready to leave his disciples, and he's telling them, I'm, the Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving my peace with you. The very presence of God is being sent to the disciples in the, in the Holy Spirit, and he's saying that you're going to be fine because as I go, I'm, gonna, I'm staying with you. My peace is going to be present with you. And I love what he says at the end of this. Because I... Do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. We're going to look at what that command was. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But when we started, I, I, I hit this spot. I'm wrestling through this text. and I'm like, I'm still stuck on the fact that he was told he couldn't have a wife. In my head, that's where I was at. I'm like, I can't imagine doing life in this ministry style Home, You know, Sal and I have been in ministry for a couple of years. And we've had some really great experiences, and we've had some very painful experiences. And I can't imagine going through the painful ones without my bride. I just can't imagine trying to deal with life and deal with, with those moments without having somebody on my team. Now, listen, we're, we don't have a perfect marriage. She didn't always agree with me. But I always knew she was for me. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you're dealing with life. And so the question that kept running, that I started wrestling with was, is the, re- is the request too great? It was God out of line pulling Jeremiah aside and saying, thus you will do. And here's the path that I'm going to lay out for you. Your rejections don't matter because it's what I'm doing and you will be part of the plan. You guys, I, I'm just saying as an American young rebellious man, I, I was not, I don't like this idea of God. I struggle with that. The sovereignty of God that he actually has the authority to come in and say, hey, this is what I designed you for. You're going to go do that. Anybody signing up? Do, do we like that part of this relationship with God? I think we struggle with it. I think when we read the Old Testament, we get a little disconnected from the reality of who God is. And somehow we, I don't know if it's in the gospel process that we, we've softened all of this up and we've made it where it's about us and it's about us getting to do what we want. And so we volunteer to go with Jesus and he's blessed to have us with him. And, and so we're super excited about whatever ministry we choose. And then when we don't like the ministry, we're like, hey, uh, God's calling me somewhere else. Didn't he call you there? Now, God's pretty, he's pretty all over the place. I always love the application process when there's nine guys showed up for one position, God called me.
3: Hmm. <laughs> now your job is to figure out which one's actually listening to the Lord.
1: Anyway, sorry, that was a side note. This process of wrestling with, is this request too great? Is it, uh, let's just be honest, I was asking, is it fair? I don't feel like that's fair to Jeremiah. It brought me back to another individual, not long after Jeremiah. Actually, it's it's one of the prophets that follows. We've been looking in and out of Ezekiel through this whole Jeremiah trip, right? Turn it in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter twenty-four. I want to encourage you from this point on. Um, I think. If we really wrestle with this heart, I think that this, the next couple of passages are going to be a little difficult. If they were for me. They are for me. I'm still wrestling in my own heart with this. Um, but I just want to warn you ahead of time so you can put your fingers in your ears and not read if you don't want to hear it. But this is a very challenging text for me. And uh, you'll, you'll see why. Read with me Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my my wife died. And the next morning, I did as I was commanded. More of the story happens, but the conclusion is, if you go down to 24, you'll see what God is doing in this process. He says this, verse 24 of the same passage, Ezekiel 24, verse 24. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign according to all that he has done you shall do. When this comes, then you will know that I am the Lord your God.
3: So God took the
1: delight of Ezekiel's eyes, his bride, at a stroke to be an example to a rebellious nation
3: about the suffering and consequences that were coming and the judgment that God was bringing on the nation. Think to myself, I don't know if I want to sign up for that kind of ministry. Consider Jesus, Hebrews chapter 5,
1: starting in verse 5, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek." What does it mean when it, by when it says that he was made perfect? His obedience was perfected in his obedience to death. Did you see what it says there? He didn't exalt himself. God the Father appointed him for this role. And although he was a son and his prayers were heard, he was crying out to the Father for any other option because he saw what was coming. Any other option and his prayers were heard because he was reverent. And although his position as a son should have set him free, it should have given him preference before the father to say, you are worth more than all of these people who rejected me. You are worth more than a creation that has never surrendered their heart but has constantly been rebellious and and against me. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered.
3: Was the great request too great? So then I thought, well, what has God asked of me? I live
1: in a very free country and have a lot of great freedoms, great comforts. You guys, I have a sprinkler system. Never in my life have I had a sprinkler system before.
3: You know what you do with those things? You go and you turn them on. Who knew?
1: I make light of that a little bit because we live in such comfort in this country. We live in such such easy existence that to think that God would ask us to suffer for his kingdom's sake is almost outside of the, 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 the realm of thought. What would
3: God ask us to suffer? Well, let's see what he says. Galatians chapter 5,
1: starting in verse 18. You guys know I couldn't pass this up, reminding us of what it looks like when we're living in the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, one of the things that, that Paul recognizes that God was calling the believers to do was to crucify the fleshly desires, to crucify the things that represented the fleshly lives, the things that, does, that do not represent or, or, or reflect the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we belong to Christ, we've crucified these things. And one of the things that I think that we see that God's asked us to do is to die to ourselves. I've shared with you guys this story. My bride is an incredible servant, and, uh, and she is, she's a giver. I'm a taker. Um, turns out that, that in those relationships, it, it can get out of balance. I'm, I'm sure that's a surprise to everybody. But I remember this one particular night, our dogs were getting up, and she gets up in the morning early and does, does all that stuff. And I realized that if I laid in bed and ignored the dogs long enough, she would get up and take care of them. Listen, this was a long time ago. I don't do that anymore. I've learned about it. Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, we need to get them counseling. The reality is, is that that was something I noticed about my bride because she's a giver. She has, it's a natural thing for her to care for and to do those things, and it's a very natural thing for me to be okay with people giving to me. But when it comes to this idea of dying to myself, I recognize in myself at that moment the selfishness that was being put on display there. If I just ignore the dogs long enough, I'm already awake. She's probably not awake yet because she hasn't gotten up and dealt with them. Because as soon as she hears them, she's up. So that means I had an opportunity to serve my bride.
3: There's many other things in this life dying to ourselves.
1: I, I uh, went to work later earlier this week and I realized that I'd spilt syrup down the front of my clothes, but I didn't realize it till I got here to the office. And I realized as I'm thinking about dying to myself, I was having an issue with pride because I really was embarrassed by this and it was, uh, it was, problematic because I was wearing light colored clothing and I had both shirt and shorts with syrup on them and you know it's like
3: it's all right down the front of you it was horrible
1: on top of that I was meeting somebody new for the first day they were showing up at the office to say oh hey Shane nice to meet you I wore my work clothes today thanks Dying to myself, dying to my own pride, dying to the need uh, to to be concerned about what I'm wearing when I go out in public, what people think of me.
3: Dying to myself to think that I deserve certain things.
1: I don't want to make a specific list for you. One, because you'd be appalled. But two, because I think everybody 's got their own list, and you're not, you don't need to worry about my list as much as you need to worry about your list. I think that's the whole you know moving the tree out of your own eye uh, before you worry about the speck in your brothers. Uh, my biggest issue is my sin it 's not your biggest issue. Uh, your biggest issue happens to be your sin, and so what, I think what Jesus is wanting us to do is go, "Whoa, that's my sin, and I need to address this so as i 've been wrestling with this week, what does God ask? Of me, This dying to myself has been incredibly challenging. Trying to mark, not not just mark them off, but identify them and say that actually does not reflect the glory of God. That does not reflect the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. That reflects the natural fleshly desires of Shane. Look at Mark chapter 8. We've been in this passage, it was, I don't know, four or five years ago. Mark chapter 8, seems like forever ago. Verse 31. I love this, because again, Jesus is trying to help his disciples see what's coming. He says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days arise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here we see this picture of Jesus who he's telling his disciples, I'm going to suffer. And then he begins to talk with them about what it costs to follow him.
3: anyone would come after me, let
1: him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus had not been crucified yet, but the, the imagery of the cross, the, the crucifixion, the execution process of this was very present for the disciples. They would have recognized him using the cross as a symbol of death. And then he gives them this illustration for, about losing your life. If, if you lose your life for the gospel, you, you will save your soul. If you refuse to, uh, to, to lose your life for the gospel, if you refuse to admit that you're with him or you're ashamed of being a believer at the, in this time, then you will be rejected when Christ returns.
3: So when we think about following Jesus, what is the cost? What's, what's the cost
1: for us? idea of crucifying the flesh, of dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, not being ashamed of the gospel. I'm really excited about our, 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 where we're at, our new community. Um, one of the guys that's in this community, he's a young, young dad, and uh, he happens to be in the cars. Go figure. It's the coolest thing ever. He actually texted me the other day, hey, say, we need to get together and hang out. I'd really love to hang out. I'm praying for opportunities for the gospel, and this young man is actually texting me and wanting to hang out. Let me pray about that for a bit. Maybe. My schedule's kind of busy. Got a lot to do. What a great opportunity this is. I've got to find stuff to get out of my way so I can make time to go and meet with this young man. And you know what? One of the things that I was wrestling with in my, own, in my head as I was thinking about this, I'm going, okay, so how do I get this to talk about the Lord? Because I can talk about cars all day long. We we can do that. We can spend the whole time talking about things that I love, other stuff. Uh, That's super easy. But how do I turn this back to where I can start sharing with him my heart and passion for the Lord? Then I realized, is it really my greatest passion? I had to ask that question this week. Is following Jesus really the greatest passion of my life? Is it the number one thing that I have? Look at, look at what, well, sorry, you're not going to like this either, but look at what Jesus says again in Luke. This has been a pretty rough week. Good, but a lot of self-reflection for me, a lot of wrestling with, with what Jesus says. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Um, if, you, if this was in a different translation, would say Jesus was at a very large church gathering says this, now a great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do you think that was pretty provocative for him to say? You, You know, honoring your mother and father is one of the Ten Commandments for the Jews. This is pretty serious, serious stuff. That Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is problematic for them. Look what he says in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes at him against him with 20,000? And if not, while well, the other is yet a great way off. He sends a delegation and it asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, I think one of the great challenges that we face in our culture is that there, there's this it's a I I don't know, I want to be careful how I say this there's this free Christianity give your life to Jesus and, and you'll be saved and that's true but there's more to it than that right?
3: there's a cost involved Jesus says give up everything else and follow me everything
1: else before him is to be seen as lost. Paul says it, right? He counts all things as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. There's this passion, there's this drive, there's this relationship that happens that that actually overshadows everything else in our life, in our relationship with the Lord. And I think to myself, is being a disciple, is, is Christ really the number one thing in my life? It, is it what I go to sleep thinking about? Is it what I wake up thinking about? Now, I know this. You guys, I get it. That's kind of a, a euphoric idea, right? But like, ooh, that would be wonderful. I'll go to sleep thinking about Jesus. I'll wake up thinking about Jesus. And then life happens. You break your arm. You, f- you, you, you go out and lay sod, and you, you can barely crawl into bed the next day. Uh, you, you have financial issues. There's medical issues. We, we, family issues. I get it. We have life. Real life happens. But Jesus was dealing with real life when he invites his disciples to follow him, and he says these things. In fact, we we have an example in, in this person of Jesus in Philippians. We're going to end with Philippians 2. Look in, look in Philippians 2, verse 1. It's the example that we've been given. Paul says that we should follow, likewise, Jesus' example here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if... so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have this beautiful picture of Jesus, right, who humbles himself and and obeys God the Father up unto death. He takes on the form of a servant. I had one person share with me one time, well, yeah, but that would have been easy for him because he knew that God was going to raise him from the dead. Well, then shouldn't following Jesus be easy for us? Because we know that he's going to faithfully lift up and exalt anybody that humbles themselves and takes us the position of a servant, will be raised to the highest position in heaven. Those who faithfully follow Jesus and lose their life on this earth will save their soul for eternity. Those who are not ashamed of the Lord, he will not be ashamed of us when he returns. Those of us that forgive others as we've been forgiven, he will forgive us. Do we not know the same information because of the word of God? Can we not engage in discipleship with the same kind of confidence then that Jesus went to the cross with? Yes,
3: we can. But the question is, will we? The question is, do we? Are we following Jesus? That was my week this week. I've been mean, like, ah.
1: It's the worst when you get, you get upset about stuff, too. You realize how fleshly you are. You realize how quickly you can get sideways about stuff and how very, very shallow uh, my relationship with the Lord is at times because life overwhelms me quickly and often, um, especially when none of you are around. It's way easier when you're not around. If you guys were around, I would be more more Jesus-like all the time on the outside. But that's just the reality of our hearts. And Jesus knew this when he invited us into this relationship. He knows this as he watches life and he, and he allows us to be born. Remember what Ephesians 2.10 says. He said that we were his craftsmanship created in, in uh, I'm going to get it wrong, but we were created in Christ Jesus, prepared to do good works that he did in advance. That's totally wrong. Go read it for yourselves, Ephesians 2.10. Make sure you get it right. But it's really important for us to understand that before the foundations of the earth were formed, he had a plan for us, and he placed us here on purpose at this time for a reason. He's not abandoned us. He is not distant. It's the sovereignty of God, the, the prominence of God. He has every authority to his creation to come in and say, this is what you shall do, and it's who I've made you to be. Now come and follow me. And by his grace, he said, and if you do, this will be the outcome. You know, he did that for, for the Israelites, too. We watch that when Moses shows up. We watch that as he lays out, here's the blessings that are going to come if you live in obedience with me. But he also laid out here's the consequences that will come if you choose not to. They had the the, the promise of fulfillment of great great blessings, the, the land flowing with milk and honey, but they also had the promise of judgment if they chose to rebel. And they chose their obedience before the Lord. What a beautiful picture that you and I get to get to look at the same truth and we get to wrestle with the graciousness of God exposed uh, in the word of God and laid out on our lives. So was the request of God of Jeremiah too great? From a human perspective, I would maybe argue, oh, it feels like a little bit, Lord. But from eternal God perspective, from a God who's welcoming his children into eternity, Who's sovereign and knows all things? One of the songs we sang that he he uh, does what is you know what's good for us. You believe that? Then we can follow God in the midst of these times. We can follow God with with all of our brokenness, with all of our the challenges that we face in our, in our heart. And when He asks us for things that we feel are are difficult or or too much or outside of the realm of fair, I believe that we should recheck our hearts. And we need to reattach ourselves to the word of God and recognize who we're interacting with. The God of the universe, the God that has offered us salvation, the God that has said, come and follow me and I will make a home for you in eternity in my presence has every authority, every right, every privilege to ask of us all that he would intend for the purposes of his glory and his kingdom. And let's just be honest, brothers and sisters, he is not asking much of us here. He's not asking much. Go make disciples. Love others as I've loved you. Forgive one another. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Sorry, that (laughs) kind of happens in my head.
3: What a great privilege we have. What a great privilege we have. I've been wrestling with that all week. God
1: asked of me anything that I think is unfair. There's days that I stand with Jeremiah going, God, I don't like this. This I didn't sign up for this. I love it. I didn't sign up for this. (laughs)
3: Like I was involved. What is God asking of you?
1: What is God asking of us as a church? What does it look like for us to follow him? Could you imagine a place where we loved like Jesus, where we put others first like Jesus, where we consider others' interests and needs above our own, where we looked at our neighborhoods and we saw the brokenness and the the eternity, their eternal destination without Jesus, without Christ, and we engaged in that as he's called us to do? Imagine what the church would look like if we lived out these truths. Yes, it would be messy. But I think it'd be a beautiful, beautiful place. And I believe that's what God's calling us to do. Just as he's reminding Jeremiah that Jeremiah is his, and he's been sent for a purpose. And that purpose will ultimately glorify God. Even though at the moment it was very dark. At the moment it was very difficult but he had an eternal scope that Jeremiah could not see and he has an eternal scope that you and I can struggle to see at times but he's given us truth in the word of god to encourage us so let's engage in that let's lean on that let's find our hope and our faith in that father thanks for this time thank you for this family thank you for the privilege that we have to call this our church family god i thank you that that uh, you are so faithful and kind and merciful and long-suffering with us. As we struggle with our own fleshly issues, as we struggle with with the worldly issues that that we all face and our hearts tend to wrestle with those things. God, I, I'm just so in awe of your graciousness and your kindness and the way in which you love on us and call us into that relationship. So, God, as we look this week. As we look at our lives and we apply your word to our lives, I pray that you would open our eyes to the areas of the flesh that we have, that we have not renounced, the areas in our lives that we have placed above you. And Lord, I pray that as we consider those things, uh, that we would repent where we need to repent, that we would confess in those areas of, of confession that are necessary. And Lord, that we would worship you in every aspect of our life. God, I don't want to be ashamed of you in the presence of a wicked and perverse generation. But I need your strength and your boldness to step up and say the things that are, are necessary to speak your truth with love uh, to this nation, to the people that are around us. Help, help me to do that. I pray that you'd help us as a church to do that, that we'd glorify your name, and that we would give you, uh, that you would get all the credit in everything that happened. So we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for all you're doing. In your name, amen.
3: You want to stand with us? So I picked this
0: next song. It's been difficult sometimes to pick songs to go at the end of service because Jeremiah is hard. (laughs) But through it all, God is always faithful. And we live in an amazing country that has, and we have great freedom. And our country is rooted in faith. And as we celebrate we need to remember that God is faithful. God is faithful when we have troubles. When life doesn't look great, God is still faithful. No matter what happens, God is great and God is faithful. Himself, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful; he will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Amen. Happy Independence Day! Have fun. Remember that the church will be open at nine forty-five tonight if you want to come watch the fireworks over Liberty Lake. Have a good week.